especially verses 8 and 9, we dealt with on last week. But I want to go back there again to provide some context and bring you back up to verse 10, which we are really going to be looking at this evening, basically this one verse in particular uh, in this narrative of Ruth. Look at verse 8. Then said Boaz of Ruth unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Last week we examined how genuine love, if you recall and you were here with us, that genuine love will demonstrate grace and it will do so without expecting anything in return. Just as Ruth, we had nothing to lose, of course, and everything to gain as a recipient of this redemptive work of God. Ruth was the same way concerning the redemption that Boaz offered her or brought to her. Not offered, but brought to her. He redeemed her. And while the grace of God does not, or does charge uh, those who have received his grace, it is not a burdensome change that grace makes in our lives, but a change that, is, that concerns our God and also the grace which we have received. So in other words, uh, that which God demands from the recipients of his grace is not what God is requiring of us, but rather it is that which God is doing for us. For instance, uh, again to remind you that as a recipient of the grace of God, the unmerited favor and goodness of God, God, of course, uh, requires, he commands that we are to follow after him, right? We are to, Jesus said, we are to uh, pick up our cross. We are to uh, sacrifice ourselves. We are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. And so you look at this and go, wait a minute. Well, if I receive grace and there's no expectation of that from that grace, then why is it that these commands are given? Why is it that this is what is expected of a life of a recipient of one who's received such grace? Well, the matter of the fact is it's not a burdensome thing. Grace changes us, but the change is a wonderful change, and it is a change of the inward desires of, that we previously had, now changing them to that which is honoring to God and a desire to follow after him and to know him, to know God, to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not that grace is an exchange of, I'll do this, but I expect this in return. It's that we receive this grace, and as recipients of this grace, we understand whatever it is that grace has changed in our lives, that God has changed by his grace, it's not that God is, is doing something um, or requiring something of us, it's that he is doing something for us in that of him. We have, we have as believers in Jesus Christ, um, in the moment of our salvation, we had absolutely nothing to lose and everything to gain. Whereas God gave everything, willingly sacrificing his son, with gaining nothing out of it. Because I say it for this reason. Even if you have a life that is solely committed unto Christ, unto the Lord. Let's say you're born again, and we know that we sin. We know that. But let's say someone who's born again, this is not possible, but for the sake of the argument, someone is born again, and from that moment forward, they never sin again in their entire life, living a life totally sacrificially unto the glory of God. 
Here's what I'm saying to you. God did not gain one thing out of that. Nothing. He does not gain from even what we may do in obedience to him. We, and here's what I mean by that. We don't add to his value. We don't add to his worth. We don't add to his glory. Can God receive glory out of our lives? Of course he does. But he doesn't need us for his glory to be revealed, for his glory to be known. And so we need to recognize that. Last week we discovered how love was demonstrated uh, by Boaz towards Ruth. We saw that Boaz showed an interest in Ruth in verses 4 through 7. We won't read all these, but in verse 5 it says, Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? The inquiry of Boaz concerning Ruth is evidence of an intentional demonstration of interest which he took in Ruth. He saw her, he said, who is this? I want to know who this is. He got his eye, so to speak. Second, Boaz provided instruction for Ruth. Verse 8 says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go hence from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Because of the interest that Boaz had for Ruth, he then instructs her to not go to any other field, but to remain in his field. Boaz offered Ruth a place with the other young unmarried women who worked in his field. And Ruth, of course, was widowed, so she was unmarried at this point in time, obviously. And he gives her and provides her that place. And I wanted to show you, remind you of this as well, uh, just, just to keep this in mind. If you recall back when interest was shown about Ruth, before Ruth was ever told anything by Boaz, before he ever said, take a place at my table, you have a place with my maidens, don't go to another field, before any of that was ever really brought out, he met in the field the masters of, the, the, the foremen, if you will, of his field, and then he meets the reapers of the field, right? They, he has all these people working under him. But if you notice, he speaks to the reapers, he speaks to the workers of the field, and he says to them, you know, the Lord be with you. And, and, and they respond in a similar term, like manner. And you find that in doing so, I was, I was pointing out to you one of the significant truths of this passage in these verses. In fact, let's just look there quickly. He says in verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers. Now the reapers are not the ones who are over the field. These are the workers within the field. And he said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? So notice, Boaz goes to the people that are working. Here he is, the CEO of the company, so to speak. And here you have the, the guys who are on the floor doing all the manual labor. And he shows up and he says, the Lord bless you. And they return in like manner, say similar to him, in blessing back to him. And, and I, I pointed that out for this purpose to remind you of this truth. That the interest that Boaz took in Ruth was the grace that Boaz showed Ruth, the grace that Ruth received had nothing to do with who Ruth was. It all is based and sourced in the character of the man Boaz. Boaz was just a gracious man. He was full of grace and kindness. And even if others didn't deserve it or even if he was above them, he humbled himself to show grace towards them. And so Ruth received of this grace this goodness of Boaz that was not deserved, and the reason why who Ruth was, but because of who Boaz was. That's important for us to remember. Let us never be heady or high-minded or, or arrogant to think 
that God just saw what we could be for him or what we could do for him. No, you've received grace from the Lord if you know him, and the grace you received has nothing to do with who you are or what you can offer or what you possess and has everything to do with who he is and that he is just gracious. That is his character and his nature. And so we see that unfold here as well. Then we saw that uh, Boaz provided instruction for Ruth as well and that he tells her, I've given you a place. And then third, Boaz provided protection for Ruth in verse 9. He said, let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap and go, after, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou go, art a thirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. So Boaz had instructed the men who worked for him not to touch Ruth. Leave her alone. And, and also it was out of his grace and interest in Ruth that Boaz had set a boundary around her, a boundary of protection for her and said, they're not going to mess with you. I've told them not to. Nobody's going to bother you. And whenever, whenever you need something, when you are thirsty, he says, my men are going to draw for you. You go take what they've drawn. I'm offering. I am providing this for you. So within this narrative of Ruth, we find that while Boaz is the one who showed grace, Boaz is the one who initiated this love for Ruth, Nonetheless, this love was reciprocated by Ruth. And the word reciprocate, of course, it, it, to break it down simply, it means to return. And we find that while Ruth did not possess the same interest in Boaz initially as Boaz did in her, for she was unaware of who he really was. She knew that there was a kinsman. She knew that there was a field out there. But she doesn't know Boaz. She's never met Boaz. She doesn't really know anything about Boaz. And so here she is as one who's just hoping to find grace somewhere from someone, as the scripture points out, and here she finds it in Boaz's field. And God providentially brought her because it was her hap to work in the field of us. And I told you, again, I say this very, very carefully because there are no quote-unquote accidents that make the statement intentionally and carefully when I say Ruth's quote-unquote accident was really God's providence. There was no accident or coincidence here. God was providentially working, and it just happened that she came to Boaz's field. The one who was a kinsman of Elimelech, the one who was a kinsman of her former father-in-law, who is now dead and had died in Moab. And so we see here that this grace and this love that Boaz initiated was not something that was initially within the heart of Ruth towards Boaz. She was unaware of who he was, and it was the grace and love that Boaz showed or gave to Ruth that caused her to take notice and appreciate who Boaz was. If you look in Romans chapter 2, I believe verse 5 it is, you will see where the scripture says, uh, the first verses there of that chapter, that the question is asked by Paul, and he's making, of course, a, a point. When he asks, he says, Knowest thou not? that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. You know, it's interesting. Now, men should fear God. And I mean that believers should reverence God, obviously. And the unbelievers should be afraid of, and, of the terror of God, the wrath of God. There's no doubt about that. But notice, it's not the terror of God's wrath that ever brings someone to repentance. It is the goodness of God. It is the grace of God by which one is brought to repentance. That's what Paul says in Romans 2, 5. Knowest thou not that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? It is God's goodness, the fact that he is good. In other words, let me say like this. God does execute his wrath upon the unbeliever, and eternally they will 
Christian, we understand that. But the reality is, even though God is righteous and just, holy, all of these things, it's who, holy, 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 it's who he is, the very essence of who he is. But let us understand that the fact that God is wrathful, just, holy, righteous, that is not what brings man to repentance. It is God's goodness and that grace that is demonstrated, that is undeserved, that brings man to repentance, as Paul declares. Now, all that is wrapped up in God's holiness, righteousness, and goodness, and, just, and that he's just. All that is true about him. You cannot just uh, categorize God or, you know, put him into, into compart, compartmentalize him, if you will. But yet we understand that Paul makes it very clear. It is the goodness of God. It is the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. Now, we are to convincingly declare the truth of the gospel without manipulation, convincingly and persuasively declare the truth of the gospel and, of course, the truth of the terror of the judgment of God, absolutely, as Paul mentions. But it is grace by which men are saved. By grace are you saved through faith. It's never by fear are you saved through faith. It is the goodness of God by which men are redeemed. So Ruth possessed the same interest in Boaz initially, being unaware of who he was, but this grace and love Boaz showed and gave to Ruth caused her to take notice and appreciate who Boaz was. The truth of a reciprocated love is evident in the way Ruth responded to the grace of Boaz, which was shown to her. Ultimately, one could say that reciprocated or returned love is a reflection, if you will, of the love one had received. So while one would receive said love, that one that receives such love may not have the capacity to return the love in the same manner, in an equivalent manner, that is, but one cannot help but to respond to the love they have received, especially when you're speaking of divine love, God's love. A demonstration of love or a manifestation of love is not the same as receiving love. So while God has manifested his love to the world in the person of his son Jesus being the very personification of the love of God, those who have not received God's manifested love, Jesus Christ, do not possess or have not received God's love. In other words, as I've said many times to you, and this is something that you don't hear a lot of people say, but it is so important in evangelism, it is so important in the gospel purely and truly as it is. To reject Christ, which all men have already done. It's not just a conscious decision you come to. No, you are born in rejection of truth, and there's enmity and hostility between you and God. You are the enemy of God. So that's from birth. It's what is, because we carry the sinful bloodline of Adam, our father who fell in the garden. And that being said and understood, we must recognize that to reject Christ is to reject God's love. If the love of God is manifested in Jesus Christ, 1 John 4, and the love of God is demonstrated in Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 8, then we must recognize that to reject Christ is to reject the love of God. So when I speak of responding to God's love, I'm speaking specifically in regard to those who have received the love of God in Jesus Christ, which will then inevitably result in a return or a reciprocation of this love. Let me say it to you simply like this. And we're going back to Ruth. This is all about Ruth. I'm trying to help set this up for you to understand what's being stated here. Boaz has shown an initial interest in Ruth. 
Boaz initiated this this relationship with Ruth and this fellowship with Ruth. Boaz, Ruth had nothing to offer Boaz. Nothing. And by the way, Ruth was not working for Boaz. Ruth was working for herself and Naomi. And yet, Boaz for Ruth and shows grace to Ruth and shows favor to Ruth and provides instruction to Ruth and provision and protection for Ruth. And so we see that this reflection of love is is given back towards or to Boaz. And I say to you again that you and I can never God the way that he has loved us. And we can never give to him anything comparable to what he has given us. But if you've received his love, there will be reflection of love back towards him. There will be a similarity of that love back towards him. A fraction of that love back towards him. And that's what you see taking place with Boaz and Ruth. Boaz had everything to offer Ruth, and Ruth had nothing to offer Boaz. But yet you see that Ruth's love, the love of Boaz towards her, is now beginning to reflect back towards Boaz as this relationship is developed and as this love is received by Ruth. As we previously observed, the expression of the grace and love of Boaz is explained in verses 8 and 9. We read those tonight. Let's read them again. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art, art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, if you go up a little bit further, of course, you see in, in verse 3, for instance, or let's go to verse 2. Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She doesn't know this is going to be Boaz. She's just saying, I'm looking for grace. Here's what she realized. And again, this is so important. Ruth was at a point. She's left her her gods. She's left her homeland. She's left her old way of life. She's following after Naomi. Your people will be my people. Your home will be my home. Your God will be my God. God forbid that I should leave you apart from death separating us, she said. And so now she's, she's at this point where she understands I have nothing to which I can cling. I have nothing to which I can depend. And I must find the grace of another to sustain me. I cannot do this. And that's why she says in verse 2, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter, verse 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap. It so happened that she was to light on the part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was kindred of the Elimelech. And here we find where Boaz then shows this grace. So the question for us is this, tonight as we move forward into verse 10. How did the grace and love of Boaz towards Ruth, or to Ruth, affect her? Or how did she respond to this grace and love? Or how is it that this grace and love, and specifically the love, was now reflected? This love was reflected back to Boaz. Well, look at verse 10. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? I reminded of the Old Testament as well, the verse that tell, or asked the question, What is man 
that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Who are we? Are we not told in the scriptures we are nothing but worms? That's what we are. Who are we? What are we? That God would show any kindness, any favor, any love to us whatsoever. And that's where you see Ruth at this point in time. There are three statements in this one verse concerning Ruth's response to the grace and love of Boaz, which resulted in her reflecting this love or reciprocating this love back to Boaz. Number one, notice with me, it says here in the first statement that Ruth was humbled by such love. Then she fell on her face. Ruth falling on her face was a response of awe for the grace and the love that she had received. As Ruth further demonstrated by her verbal response, she was literally in awe that Boaz would love her and show grace to her, that he would show this favor to her. Falling on her face was what we might refer to as a knee-jerk or reflexive action. In other words, we're going to get to the next statement. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground. But the falling on her face is a separate statement from bowing herself to the ground. This is not saying the exact same thing. This falling on her face is a reflexive action or reaction. It's almost as though it was a response beyond her control. I'm not saying it was, was beyond her control, but almost in that manner to that degree, as one who would hear devastating news may fall to their knees. Ruth's reflexive reaction was to fall on her face. So in other words, Ruth's response was as one collapsing to the ground. And this was a, was a direct result of the awe that she had of such love for one such as herself by one such as Boaz. And those who receive the love of God in Jesus Christ, I would ask you this question. How can we not reflexively respond to the depths of such a love? 1 John 3, 1, the beginning of the verse says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, of course, John's the context of John's statement and all that he is saying is these many tests that we looked through in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Well, 1st John specifically, then looked at 2nd and 3rd John as well. But in 1st John, concerning the true evidence and manifestations of one who is a believer in Jesus Christ. But yet the question is still, or the statement is still made, Behold, look at the truth, be in awe of, of this love, this manner of love. What a love! that the Father has loved us with in His Son. 1 John 4, 9. In this, we're told, was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So behold what manner of love. Such love humbles the one who receives it. Listen, if you're a recipient of God's love, you understand you did not initiate, you did not initiate a relationship with God the Father. God initiated the relationship. And then you begin to see where God demonstrated, showed grace to you, and you begin to understand this grace. Then you begin to receive of this provision that he has made, and you begin to feast upon his provision. And if you are a recipient of such love and grace, then it brings you to awe. You do stand in wonder and amazement. Second, we see the next statement that's made. Ruth showed reverence to the one who demonstrated such love and bowed herself to the ground. Now, unlike the previous statement, this is not a reflexive response. The first response was reflexive, a reflexive reaction. And again, one who hears some wonderful news and they cannot help but just 
shout for joy, or one who hears such devastating news that they just collapse to their knees. They, they, their strength leaves them because they are just overwhelmed, if you are in awe of what they've just heard. So that was reflexive, but this is not. This is not the same as one collapsing, if you will. But this was an intentional response out of reverence of the one who showed her this grace and love. While her immediate response was that of humility and just being overwhelmed and in awe of the love she was shown as one who would collapse to bow herself to the ground, on the other hand, was an intentional and reverential response. So in other words, the humility Ruth experienced by this love she had received was due to the reverence that this love cultivated within Ruth for the one who demonstrated this love. To bow in reverence was to submit herself before the one who had been so gracious and so merciful and so loving to her. It is the same reverence of which Paul wrote in his epistle of, epistle of Romans. Romans eleven thirty three through 12, 1. Oh, the depth. And he's talking about God's redemptive plan here, specifically concerning, of course, uh, the Gentiles and such. And he says, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him... And through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, or which is your genuine worship. So what is this based on? Why, did, why, are, we, why are we charged to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God. It's based on the mercies of God. Who has first given to him? No one. But he has given. And based upon his mercies and his goodness and his grace, we now present ourselves. We humble ourselves. We bow ourselves in submission and in reverence to the Lord. So to bow before the Lord in reverence is much more than a simple kneeling. But it is an act of submission to him. We submit ourselves to the Lord and worship Him in awe and in reverence before Him. And then third, in verse 10, Ruth was overwhelmed by this love and said unto Him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? Ruth's response to the grace of Boaz and her reflection of the love she was shown was due to her understanding how unworthy she was to receive such grace and love. Ruth's question, in truth, is a statement. She is acknowledging how unworthy she is, being a stranger, being one without a connection to the land, without a, a stranger to this culture, to this people, which are the people of Boaz. Such a demonstration of this grace and love caused Ruth to have a proper view of not only Boaz, but also a proper view of herself. Boaz was the giver. Boaz was the gracious one. Boaz was the master. Boaz was the one for whom she lay, or in his field she labored. Boaz was the one at whose table she sat. Boaz was the one who instruct, gave her protection. Boaz is the one who gave her provision. See, she begins to have an appreciation for Boaz who she never knew before. 
But not only did this cause his grace, cause her to acknowledge the value of the one who was gracious, but such grace also caused her to realize how undeserving she was to be a recipient of that grace. She, Boaz, or Ruth, received the grace and love of Boaz with absolute understanding that she deserved neither. Neither is love nor is grace. 1 John 4.10, we're told, and let us be mindful, as people will talk so quickly about how much they love the Lord, how much they love God, they love the people of God, and make all these statements of this truth. 1 John 4.10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How could we hear of such a love? How could we receive such a love and not bow ourselves down in reverence to the one who has given such a love? How could we not see ourselves as undeserving? What part of us could ever think that we deserved that Jesus would die on our behalf? That he would satisfy the wrath of the Heavenly Father? That he would be the substitutionary atonement. That he would die the propitiation for our sins. Who are we? Who am I that you would show such grace or such love to a stranger such as I? What connection do I have to you? None. Ruth had no connection. Oh yeah, well they had, they had connection because this was a limit like skinsman. Ruth had no connection. Boaz didn't even know she was in his field originally but providentially it was worked by God to bring this to pass the love that we reciprocate the love that we possess the love that we show towards God hear me does not originate in us it is not initiated in us it is not produced by us it is not manufactured by us the love, no matter how much it may be or how little it may manifest itself, the truth of the matter is simply this. The love that you possess and the love that you reciprocate back to God is simply a reflection of his love for us. Love is not defined by our love for him. Love is defined by his love for us. Here is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Here you find defined, love as it's defined. And Christ then became the propitiation for our sins. So such a love demands a response. For all those who have received this love of God will be humbled, will be brought to reverence, and will truly be overwhelmed by God's love as it continues to be displayed. Look, Ruth works in the field. She's thankful for that, no doubt. Look at the progression here. She happens to be in the field of Boaz, the part of the field he owns. And, and there's no doubt that she is thankful just to find somewhere she can labor to get food for herself and for Naomi and to make some kind of provision. But she still doesn't know Boaz. Boaz takes interest in her, initiates relationship with her, gives her provision necessary for her very life to be sustained, invites 
his table to eat and instructs her not to go anywhere else, but you are protected here with me. Now, watch what's happening here. And you see this in the book of Ruth, in this narrative. As all this transpires and begins to unfold, do you know what it's doing in the heart of Ruth? It is drawing her to him. She is now has a tremendous interest in Boaz. And it's not about, oh, look what Boaz can do for me. No, it is this undeserved favor that now has drawn her to desire to know who Boaz really is. And as she begins to see who he really is, she then bows herself. She falls before him on her face and bows herself willingly in reverence of him in what he has done, who he is, and in light of who she is, what he has done, and then says, who am I? Why would you show me grace? To summarize the truth of how and why Ruth reciprocated the love she received from Boaz, we can refer back to John's writings again in his first epistle concerning the reason and manner in which we reflect God's love are the reason or manner in which we reciprocate God's love. 1 John 4, 19. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You know why Ruth became interested in Boaz? Because Boaz first showed grace and love to Ruth. And by the way, we love him because he first loved us. I said this before. 1 John 4, in verse, 1 John 4, 9. We're told that God manifested his love toward us and that he sent his son, okay? That's the manifestation of God's love. Romans, again, says God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were at sinners, Christ died for us. That's the demonstration of God's love. That's not what 1 John 4.19 is talking about. It doesn't say we love him because he first demonstrated love to us. We love him because he first manifested love toward us. It says we love him because he first loved us. Remember this. God's love is an eternal love. An eternal love. So he has always loved us, whom he loves, and we come to understand, see that love as rooted of Boaz, and then reciprocate that love because of his love for us. By the way, if God's love is not an eternal love, then the, there would never have been a manifestation of God's love in Jesus Christ. There would have never been a demonstration Jesus Christ's death is not the love of God. It is the manifestation of the love of God and the demonstration of the love of God. But that manifestation and demonstration was only necessary because there was an eternal love of God. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Whatever love, measure of love you have for the Lord, it will be greatly equivalent to your understanding and appreciation of who he is and what he has done (laughs) as being who he is. So the more you know of him, the more you genuinely love him. But that's because you are receiving the truth of who he is, love and that favor and that kindness of God received begins to be reciprocated to him back in a loving way towards him because of his love. At best, this is the reality of it, but what a joy and privilege it is 
that God allows us to reciprocate his love, to reflect his love back to him from whom we have received such love. Let's pray together. Father, we